Okay, everyone, welcome to the yet to be named podcast. Uh, my name is Hannah Pratt, and I am starting uh, her up <laughs> today. And we're just going to figure it out as we go. It's been something I've been wanting to start for a while. I've talked about it um, a bit on my Instagram, Hannah Rose Spin and Hannah Rose Pratt. And I've been writing a blog for the last, I want to say, six years, really. Uh, called the grief diaries. And so I wanted to turn that into something a little bit more tangible for people, something that they can listen to. I think, uh, blogs are kind of moving in the way of podcasts and quite simply, I just want to connect with people in a different way. So that was the purpose of, of starting this. And I've been thinking about it for a little bit, a little bit now, and we are moving into 2020. So there's no time like the present. I just taught two amazing rides this morning and I'm feeling super inspired. So here we go. Um, I'm going to start by telling my story a little bit and we're going to move into a variety of topics. But what I hinted at in posting about this podcast is I want it to be a place where people can come to and uh, talk about healing or hear about healing in a variety of different ways, whether that's from grief, whether that's from losing somebody physically from this world or, um, you know, something like a relationship ending, which is something I've experienced in the last year and it kind of come through on my own, um, much happier and healthier and fulfilled. So those are the reasons. And that's the, that's the hope for this podcast of, of what I'm hoping you to get out of it. So if you don't want any of those things that you can stop listening right now, because that's what you're going to be listening to for the next, uh, however long this goes for. But, um, yeah, so I'm in my thirties. I am a professional. I run the Winnipeg dress collective. I teach spin at wheelhouse and I am finishing my master's degree in philanthropy and nonprofit leadership coming up this semester. If all goes well, it's one of those things where you're like, when you say all those things out loud, it sounds absolutely fucking nuts. And, it kind of is, and uh, <laughs> I'm really excited to be done with school so that I can focus on other things that make my heart sing, um, as wonderful as it's been. But yeah, so this has been a journey to get to this place, and as I look back on 2020 like everybody else is, it's pretty nuts to think about all the things that have happened and sort of define me. Um, I was engaged, and I canceled a wedding. I was then not engaged and on my own, I fell in love. I had, uh, that relationship end. My mom passed away in 2014 and my parents broke up and got separated just six months before that. Um, I fell into talking about mental illness and mental health as a result of, of my mom passing away by, um, when she died by suicide and it's thrust me into this whole sphere about talking about mental health. And so, um, as I reflect upon my own journey, I can't help but mention her and I, I probably won't ever stop because they're so inextricably like linked together that her, everything that she struggled with is something that I struggled with in the last um, year of really just feeling like hopeless and um, not being able to see the light anymore. Um, so I guess I'll start from there. In 2014, I, that was a defining year. Um, just two years before that, I had graduated from the creative communications program at Red River and uh, found my first real job and I loved it and I felt like I was finally sort of finding my way in the world. There's a lot of you probably who are younger and not quite sure what you want to do out of university and I had done a degree, taken a year um, between that to work at a gym selling gym memberships and got to know a lot of people and sort of started this fitness journey of, of eventually wanting to teach 
And um, 2013 was kind of a weird year. It was, it started, I just, my dad had gotten sick the year before and was in the hospital. I had this horrible feeling. I was DJing a wedding social. Oh yeah, I DJ on the side. I was DJing a wedding social for a friend of mine and I was completely off. I felt like I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't pick like, you know, pick songs. The, the groom's sister was like yelling at me for not playing the right songs. And I felt like I was in a fog and I just had this sinking feeling that I knew something was going to happen and uh, something bad was going to happen. And at some point I'll probably talk more about this, but I'm pretty, I feel pretty connected to like my intuition. I feel like I just know when something is, is happening. I get really intense dreams about it. My, my body starts to feel it in its bones. I just, I feel overwhelmed. I feel anxious and, and something comes, I feel like it's looming. And that night, I remember even like trying to get my equipment outside. It was, it was a social, it was a wedding social for a friend of mine. So I like knew every single person there and was already so embarrassed that I had done a terrible, I, I like can remember it the moment where I was like, I'm just doing a shitty job right now. I need to, I need to like leave this place. And I thankfully had a co, a co DJ who was there with me. And so I kind of made him take over, but um, I was leaving and I was like carrying something and I just bailed in the gym, like in front of everybody when the lights were on. And for those of you who know what a wedding social, it's just like the, it's the worst time I was sober. I hadn't been drinking anything. And that was sort of like the final straw for me. And, and when I, uh, when I left, I got a text from my mom saying, you need to, you need to come over and, um, come to the hospital. Like, so this is something's happening with your dad and his surgery had, um, he came out of his surgery and like 30 minutes later had crashed and that's the only way I can really explain it and had to um, be put on a central line, be put on life support and was had a breathing uh, tube and all of that stuff and it was just the most insane thing to all of a sudden have this like this switch happen and he um, was in the ICU for a few days and, and I remember like doctors, the anesthesiologist coming by and there had been a mistake where they didn't realize he was allergic to this anesthetic and and uh, they weren't sure if he was going to walk again. They didn't sure if he was going to wake up. Like people were crying around me. All the, the like people who worked at the hospital were literally like, "Your dad is really sick," and sort of prepping us. And um, it was awful. I remember my mom just was beside herself. She's like, "I took him for granted." I, you know, she was. What people do is they're like thinking about all the all the things that they should have said or should have done. And you can hear my dog running around. Maybe he's going to get a sock in this moment. Um, and. When he came out of that, I feel like he sort of met his his mortality a bit and like had this different experience where, um, you know, that some of us go through where they feel like they want to change their life. And and I'll sort of breeze through this because I don't think it's necessarily my story to tell. But um, in during his recovery, during his recovery, he was he had he was septic, so he his blood was uh, infected, so he was battling this major infection that made him really really sick and tired and. And uh, we're a, a pretty like lean family, and and it was hard to keep weight on and all that stuff. And and the hospitals, no offense, anybody who works in hospitals here, but like they are brutal. <laughs> there's like there's like ten people in one room. It smells terrible. And when you work, you're you're not. It's not a place to recover. It's not the place to be. So coming home, um, I think something happened in the marriage where it just wasn't uh, it wasn't working. They were disconnected and. Um, my dad found uh, another person that he started seeing while he was married to my mom, and uh, it all came to a head in, in September of 2013, about four days before my birthday. 
and I got a text from my mom saying I can't do this anymore. And I, I didn't know what she's talking about because not, we hadn't, nothing had come to light yet at that point. And, um, I texted her back in the morning and, uh, asked her to, to run over to my place cause she was, she ran to work every single day. And leading up to the, the last, the previous few weeks, I, there had, she had said that there's, she felt like something was happening and, and for, I was like, you're crazy. Like he's just still getting, you know, he's just still getting better and all this stuff. And, um, it, she was really upset. I, when you, when you've seen a parent cry, like it's, it's the worst thing. Um, and dealing with that as a, as a 26 year old at the time, 25, I guess I was about to turn 26 was really, really hard and heartbreaking. And, um, yeah, so she, she was immediately thrust into, uh, suicidal thoughts. She was, she'd always heard of sort of had depression, I think at bay. Um, she'd experienced depression early on in her twenties, but, but us as a family, I think we're able to keep her together. And so September 26th, this all came to a head. She found out about this other person and October 4th was the first time she tried to take her life. I got a phone call from her phone from the paramedics saying, um, hi, is Hannah there? And, and I was so confused and, and I, I was in shock. I was in complete, an utter shock, uh, when they told me that she had tried to end her life and they had her in an ambulance and she had called the ambulance and I was like, didn't know what questions to ask. My boyfriend at the time had taken my fucking car somewhere else and I didn't have a car, like any of this shitty, like 92 LeBaron, but I was like, I didn't know where it was parked on our street. It was just this whole thing where you're like, you're trying to to just get somewhere. You want to teleport somewhere as quickly as possible at, uh, at the hospital and just, it was like all these things were, were in my way. And I was, and then I, when it hit me, when it finally hit me, I had like this full, full breakdown. I was hysterical. I was hysterical. I was punching the wall. I was like, well, I've, I've never made sounds like that. I don't think ever. And I finally got to her in the emergency room and, um, she'd taken like 30 something muscle relaxants or, or pills and they had to do the whole stomach pump thing and they had to, you know, ask her if she wanted to die and if that's why she took these things. And it's a really horrible experience. I'm not going to lie to you. And uh, I'm, I'm going through this and being really transparent with everyone because I feel like it's important to, like, actually name the things that happen. And we talk about mental health sort of at this, like, really high level thing. Like, talk to people. Talk to one another. Well, this is, this is what talking sounds like. This is exactly what talking sounds like. It's t- it sounds like me recounting what it's like to be the family member of somebody going through this and, you know, having like the annoying bullshit of, of having to find parking at, at a hospital when your mom is in, you know, is, of course my phone goes off (laughs) in the middle of this, um, finding parking and like, and, and, you know, for not sure if you're supposed to laugh at things when they, when funny things happen, or if you're, you think you're going to act a certain way, you think you're going to like act a certain way and you're going to plow through everybody, but you know, social conventions and social norms still rule our lives. And so like, they're like, Oh, let me see if I can find her. And I'm like heaving and like crying. And they're like, are you okay? Are you, are you okay? I'm like, I need to get to my fucking mom. I need you to be faster at what you are doing and tell me where she is. Um, and of course I'm just like, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm like, it's, it's so ridiculous, but I, I, 
and they're like, are you ready to see her? I'm like, I need you to open the door. Like, get the fuck out of my way. I need you to open this door right the fuck now. And then I go there and, and, uh, you know, that was the moment where I thought that I had, I had like almost lost her. That was the moment I thought I was like rock bottom. And unfortunately it wasn't. And over the next few months, it was really, really hard to sort of get these calls every so often from her. Um, never had it been another hospital scare, but she was set up with psych nurse, psychiatric care, psychologist. Um, and thankfully we had the means to like pay for that, but she was released that night back into our care. And I told work I was be working from home and they're like, Oh, okay. Like that's not really set up for this way. Again, a, something that you have to deal with. And you're like, I don't know. My mom just tried to kill herself. Could I maybe get a, could I get like a, a break? Could you let me work from home so I can watch her? Um, and immediately she started like, you know, she's like, I just made a terrible mistake. I just did something really stupid. And that was sort of her, her some summary of it was that she did something really stupid. And, and that day I had actually found, um, a note from her that was, uh, that was a, basically a will. And it was saying what she wanted to go to my brother and I, and, and, uh, I kept it for some whatever reason. I remember her trying to look for it and me just sort of being like, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and I kept it. And that ended up being her will when she passed away. Um, which is a, turns out to be a holographic will. I still recommend everybody who's listening, no matter what age you are, you need to get a will. It is so much easier to do this when you, to do anything, not this necessarily, but to like, God forbid something happens to any of us. I like, I, the worst, the worst part of that for me, I think besides being dead, as morbid as it sounds, would be to, to, to think in my last moments to think about, Oh my God, who's going to take care of my dogs? Oh my God, my, my poor family or friends, my poor friends really, um, who I know would have to figure out, you know, where my banking information is and my insurance and my life insurance policy and my pension and, and, and who's going to take care of my dogs would probably be the main thought. And my house, I'm a single person who's not a relationship. Like you, I, I can't urge you enough as somebody who's gone through this with somebody who didn't have a, a really specific will that you need to have one. So anyways, I digress. It's easy. You can do it online. You just need people to witness it. I update mine every year and it actually becomes really fun. You can be like, <laughs> I want my funeral to be like this. And I want my people to read up messages for me like this. My funeral is going to be a party. Like, I don't know. I'm on a complete tangent right now, but like I have a DJ locked in <laughs> for God forbid anything happens to me. And I'm, I'm not, I want to put a, uh, like a caveat of like a, a, whatever out there saying like, I'm completely fine. I'm of sound mind. I'm not sick. There's no reason to, for me to be doing this. But if I was hit by a buzz, um, I have everything locked and fucking loaded. It's basically like a guest list of people to get in. <laughs> I think it's really fun and funny. I texted my friend who's a DJ. I was like, so I like, this is going to come off really strange, but would you be willing to DJ my party? I've got a playlist. It's all good. And she's just like, what the fuck? Can you just stop? I was like, this is what, these are the thoughts I'm thinking of when it's like one in the morning and you can't sleep. And then I feel like, okay, good. I'm good. I've done this one thing. Anyways, back to the story. Um, but I can't stress enough. Get your wills done. Um, back to the story. I, yeah, so this was um, mid-October, and then over the next few months, it got worse. I had already planned a trip to New Zealand to see my best friend who lived there, and I was gone for Christmas. My poor brother was 
dealing with this. And honestly, if, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, it's not just a scary, sad thing. It's you're really pissed. I was really mad at my dad. I was so angry at the world. I was so angry that my every day I was terrified and, and wondering what was going to happen. And I was like, I, I lost any sense of like what stuff for doing stuff for me. I would go out with my friends and then I get a call from my mom and it just like, I was mad. I was so mad that I was like then her caregiver and making sure people were there every single day. And like she had a schedule situated and, and dealing with that anger was really hard afterwards too, because obviously you make promises with people. You say promise not going to do anything. Your promise not going to do anything. And then this happens and it's like, you feel completely betrayed. And those are things I've been dealing with as a result ever since. Um, thankfully I had a psychologist. I had a psychologist from, my previous relationship or sorry, the relationship was at the time and, and we had gone to couples counseling and then I just kind of took her because she sort of agreed with everything I said <laughs> and, and the couples counseling obviously didn't work. So I had uh, a psychologist who I saw regularly who knew being really well at that point And I've been seeing her since 2010 now. So we're literally 10 years, which is crazy to think. And, um, yeah, so I, I was getting my own help, but I was, I was completely scared, terrified, and obviously, uh, going through a lot of anxiety, which had, I've experienced my whole life. And, um, I'll skip to it. Basically. I, I remember the day I remember exactly what I was doing. I was cooking steak. It was March 14th. It was a Friday. She was supposed to be going to her friends. Uh, sorry. She was supposed to be going to, uh, a retreat with this group that she had been seeing. And, it was like a, it was like a weekend retreat. And honestly, like this group was kind of depressing. Like it sounds a little bit morbid or whatever to say that, but like people kept dying in this group. It was a, a group for kind of like a first wise club thing where women who had been left and like later in life were getting together. And there was no program out there for, for adults like, like my mom, that was sort of a good, a good program. There is one now called turning pages. It's through mood disorders association of Manitoba and it's fantastic. And, um, that was started by a woman who lost her mom as well to depression. And, um, but there wasn't, it didn't exist then. So I was, I was kind of cobbling together all these different programs and things and services and trying to find the one that would stick or like if they would all work together. And, um, that night, I, around 6 p.m., I looked at my phone, 7 p.m., 6 p.m., I want to say, and I had a bunch of missed calls from my dad, hadn't been talking to him, so that was strange, and I, I, I called him back, and he said, my mom's in the hospital, and I said, is she okay, and he started crying, so he said no, and um, I don't really want to get into the details of, of what exactly happened in terms of, like, the methods, I don't necessarily think that's good for anybody, and there's some journalistic standards and like what you're supposed to report with, with death by suicide. But, um, I will kind of allude to it. So the way she almost passed away was, um, there was no oxygen to her brain. And so she had been revived by an ambulance after my dad had found her. And, um, she'd done it in a time when she, there wasn't going to be anybody there because she was supposed to be getting ready to go to this retreat. And so her regular Friday night plans weren't there. And, um, yeah, I had, I'd had hope because this first time I, she had came through it and she was in the hospital. And so I was like, okay, so what's the plan? And they're like, well, this is different. And she was in 
she was on life support, just like my dad had been. So I'd seen both of them in this really vulnerable position, and um, it was awful. She had had, you know, she's physically, you could see the physical differences in her, and she was there for, you know, I was... She was there for four days uh, before she passed away. And she passed away because we had to make the decision to take her off life support because there was no activity in her brain anymore. And making that decision when you feel like you're still a kid is, I mean, I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. I just, how do you, how can you decide to do that? You know, you're like, you think of all the miracle stories about, um, people who recover from brain injuries. And and I had a few different doctors. There was three different doctors, and they were telling me different sort of versions. The first one, the Friday night, um, my boyfriend had left, my dad had left, my brother uh, wasn't there, and I was I was, wait, I was kind of waiting in this waiting room area, this like general waiting room area. And, and uh, I think I was, somebody was going to get me a pillow or something from home, and I was left alone. And he came to speak to me and he says, he kind of looked around and he's like, is anybody here with you right now? And I was like, uh, no, it's just me. He's like, okay, come into the hallway. And he just said, you know, this is what the situation is. He was, I think, a fourth year resident, I want to say, I don't really know. And he said, your mom is not going to wake up and be the same person if she wakes up. There's nothing happening right now in her brain. And like the best case scenario would be she wakes up and had, it's like she's had a mass, massive, massive stroke. And my mom was the most active person, more active than I currently am. And I teach spin classes. She ran every day to work 10 miles a day. She was out in the garden. She never drove really. She was so strong. She had a very physically demanding job. She was an autopsy technician. And um, she was very like, uh, just full of life. So this was, this was like not an option that she would wake up and, and it's like I, be in a wheelchair. And um, I felt it after I kept it together, because again, social norms, I was like, okay, thank you. You know, like she didn't mean to do this though. This was an accident. She had been probably drinking that day and like that was something that came through depression when she was drinking a lot more. Um, and she never did. She never did before. She never, like, so having glasses of wine would just, like, impede her, her ability to, to think properly and, and be kind of of sound mind. And, uh, yeah, the doctors finally on, like, the, I think the next day, late the next day, they said, this is, this is the situation and it's a matter of, of time. And during that time, she was, things were fluctuating. Her health wasn't, was declining. Her body was sort of, giving up a little bit. Um, so we had some touch and go things. And, and so we made the decision that on Tuesday, March 18th, um, would be the day that we took her off life support. And at that time it was just going to be my brother and myself and my boyfriend would wait outside and, and we had to watch my mom die. And it was the hardest, hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. And, um, I got. I hope, pray to God that this would never happen again to any to to me. To watch anybody I love die like that. I'd rather I'd rather go first. To be honest, sounds again a little bit morbid, but um, I think it's also the most noble thing you can do is is not shy away from that because my mom was took care of me for twenty six years. She was my rock. She was my best friend. We spoke every single day, multiple times a day. 
throughout this, we became even closer, I would say. And we were, uh, she was the like love of my life, like person who could make me laugh and vice versa. And we shared everything together and she was my rock and I wasn't going to not be there when this happened. And that's not shaming anybody else who's, who's gone through something and just couldn't do it, but I had to be there for her. And so, um, I sang her songs and they took off the, the, out the breathing tube. And basically they explained that either her breathing or her heart would stop first. They weren't sure. Um, but the, the ventilator had been keeping her going. So they assumed it would probably be the, the breathing and, and her breathing did stop. Her heart didn't, which was, um, made for a really scary visual, to be honest, when somebody's basically suffocating in front of you and you're, you love them and you're seeing them turn blue. And as a result of that, I've dealt with a lot of like PTSD, um, seeing that visual come through and, um, it was the worst. It was the worst. There's no other way to explain this to anybody. It's the worst thing you'll ever go through losing a parent. And I pray to God that you have the closure of being able to see them live a long and healthy, healthy, happy life. Um, but losing a parent, losing a mom, I think there's between a mom and a daughter, there's just like a, a, a different sort of connection. And it's been a really crazy ride to sort of think about how I've become so independent when at a time uh, not so long ago within this last decade, I was so not independent, like switching gears. I was the, I was the kid who'd show up at Sunday night dinners, which we had every week and be like, do you have any toilet paper I could take back to my home because I'm ran out and I don't know when I'm going to be able to go to the store or like, I would just like take groceries and things and like, uh, you know, she, if I need something, if I like need the dogs to be let out, she'd come and let the dogs out. Like they were just, I was, I had that support system built in. Like I was, uh, she made me lunches for God's sake. Like it was, it was bananas how dependent I was still. And now to think about how independent where I'm sort of in this, like trying to get shed this, like, I don't need anybody. I'm good on my own type of thing. It's pretty nuts. Um, but yeah, and then there's the funeral and on and the celebration of life and all the things you you have to plan. Again, as a kid, it's like I say kid kind of loosely, but like I felt like a kid. I felt like a a, a kid who just lost their mom and and didn't know like who am I supposed to be making these decisions? Like there shouldn't be an adult. Where's the adult in the room? Oh, it's me. Okay, cool. Um, and yeah, and I took some time. Thankfully, I worked at a place and I. Um, pause for a second. I worked at the University of Manitoba in at the Bannerstein campus and my mom worked at HSC. And so I was able to have lunch with her every day. And truthfully, I was working this job. I took this job, like trying to think, Oh, you know, I'm going to, it's not really one that makes my heart sing, but I'm going to take it because I feel like it's something I should do. And when I took it, I realized it was afterwards, really, I, t I was there because I was supposed to be close to my mom. The universe, God, whoever you believe in, I think takes care of you. And I was supposed to be there close to her so that I could have lunch with her every single day and like hold her hand as she was crying and going through this. And so I, uh, the U of M where I worked was they allow you to take sick leave. And so that includes, you know, stress leave and stuff like that. And it's like fully paid, thank the Lord. And 
I took time off and, and dealt with her estate and was her executor on her estate and had to deal with his will and selling the house and, and working with my dad and all these things, my brother, and we ended up, you know, almost needing to go to court over things, and it was really, really shitty. Um, and I felt like at the time I wanted to just sort of, like, develop my own family so badly. Uh, I was so craving, like, the what that closeness that I had that I was like, okay, like, you know, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have this wedding. We're going to like have kids right away. And, and I just was desperate to sort of like switch into like, okay, okay. I need to like build my own family now because I just lost mine basically. Um, in that same year, my brother moved to California and things kind of fell apart with my dad. And I didn't talk to him for two years after that. Um, and I was alone. Like I was alone and I had my, my, my partner at the time, but it wasn't a relationship that was meant to be in any way, shape or form. It was not healthy. It was very not healthy and very toxic. And, um, I, but I felt like I couldn't be on my own. Like I didn't know what alone meant. I'd only lived with him. I never lived on my own. And, um, finally in 2016, I, I made the choice to, to end that and end an engagement (laughs) and, uh, just say fuck it and be like I I've tried my best with this I can't do it anymore and I'm not ready to settle for this for the rest of my life this unhappiness and so yeah I did that and that was a whole other a whole other year of of uh courts and lawyers we weren't married but fun fact for anybody who lives in Manitoba it's it's the same thing as being married it's common law so anything you have including inheritance if you put into a house they are able to take half of it and that is not fun um so dealt with that for a year and but in the meantime I had been working at an amazing place I worked for the for I'll say the local sports team and was there for five years and in total and like really started to find myself. And I think that's what gave me the courage to actually leave this relationship was like, I'm building myself up so independently that I feel safe enough to, to leave this place that I thought was going to be my family. And so I, um, yeah, I was still working there going through all of this and I just felt really taken care of by my friends and, even the going home at night, I would sort of just like sit there and, and eat chips for dinner and like not really take care of myself. I would like, my tendency is to, to sort of, um, lose like the healthy habits, but I started to fall in love with spin again, get into that, which was awesome. And, um, felt like I was starting to like see bits of myself and like build bits of myself that I had, I hadn't, addressed in a while I had already sort of, I would always try and like play really small and not rock the boat and play really small so my boyfriend wouldn't get mad at me for being gone and and not t- speak to me for three days because I had been taking care of something else that didn't fall in line with him and so through all of these things I feel like what's saved me and helped me come through has been um, really like leaning into working on myself in some way and like finding things that really make my heart sing. So at one point that was DJing for me. Um, it's been starting the dress collective, which I'm sure I'll do an episode about and maybe interview a bride or something and, um, and then spinning. And so I, the thing that I can tell you to hold on to like that little bit of light, if you're going through some grief right now, whether that's a boyfriend or, or girlfriend or, losing somebody is that 
there's going to be few things that make you smile and recognize what those things are. They could be being with simple pleasures, being alone at home and reading a book. They could be an activity for me. I'm an extrovert and I'm like, I need to get my body moving. Otherwise I feel like I'm literally going to jump out of my skin. Um, and it is like breathing again once I'm able to move on the bike and, and spin bike now and sweat it out and actually just feel like that's my home. That's where I have a pathway for rage and a pathway for love. And they too converge on this bike. And so find those things that, that bring a smile to your face. I withheld those things after my mom died. I felt like I shouldn't be laughing. Like I, I didn't feel like I should be allowed to smile or, or to do anything. I stopped getting my hair done. Um, even I didn't want to look pretty, you know, like I didn't want to look good. Like what kind of daughter was I, I, I hated myself for all the things that I could have done. I felt so fucking guilty. I felt like I should have, you know, I didn't, she asked me to have lunch with her that week. And I, I said, no, I was too busy. And I, a whole five days went by and I hadn't seen her. The last time I saw her was, was walking into the house for Sunday night dinner. And I had been so tired because I had DJed Friday, Saturday night, both nights, different places. And those were the last two paid gigs I've ever, I've ever done up until this past year, because I was like, I'm, I'm a selfish, horrible person for missing time away from my mom when I was, you know, DJing and doing these things and and not having lunch with her and doing such selfish shit. So I was not kind to myself and I've seen it with other people who, who aren't kind to themselves. They start to not go to the gym. They start to like gain weight or, and I, and I say gain weight as like a very generalization of, of a symptom of not being healthy, but I understand that everybody has different forms on their body and they're healthy at different weights. But, but what I mean to say is, is they're unhealthy or they become more unhealthy. I, I'm a, a thin person, but I'm not, I've never been always healthy. It's so that's just the distinction there. Um, and, and you can't, you can't stop doing those things because you're just going to fall so much deeper into this darkness, um, that's trying to swallow you up. You need to hold on with every inch, with every bit of your being to something that makes you smile, whatever it is. And that could be going for a walk. That could be going for, you know, I'm a big advocate for anything that gives you endorphins because it's your body's way of like making itself happy. But if it's hanging out with friends, if it's, you know, whatever your hobby may be, do that and don't stop doing it to punish yourself. Every relationship I've had that's broken up or like that I've, uh, you know, either been broken up with or done the breaking up. Mostly I've done the breaking up. Um, but you feel like you're a horrible person for doing that. And when you're being broken up with, you feel unworthy. And so you'll start to do these things then have form these habits of, of sort of like believing if that person was horrible enough to have told you anything that like a lie, like you're never going to find happiness again. And that's something that's been told to me. Um, you believe it because you're like, who I'm so unworthy. And if you've had any past trauma, um, of abandonment, which obviously something I've dealt with, you sort of like, you're like, of course, of course I'm unworthy. Of course I'm stupid and ugly and not worthy of love and will never find happiness and all this stuff. And, and, and may not, you may not be telling yourself that story explicitly. You may not be actually saying those words, but you are, you've subconsciously absorbed it. And, 
unless you address it and like go to what your deepest fear is. And for some that's being unloved, for some that's being unworthy, for some that's being left, the latter one is definitely something I've experienced and have worked through. Um, you, you start to believe that and you start to treat yourself with that context in mind. And it's taken a lot of work on my end for me, my, my, in my story to believe that I am worthy of somebody in a relationship who, um, loves me as much as I love me at this point. I fucking love myself. (laughs) I know that sounds so narcissistic to some, but like, I'm telling you that is the magic elixir to loving your life is to loving yourself. And and I'm not a perfect person by any means. I can be a complete asshole. I can be really um, selfish and uh, whatever, all the words that, that are you're not supposed to be. Like you're supposed to be self-care, but you're also supposed to be completely altruistic. And I, philanthropy and giving is my, is my love language. Like I show people how much I care by giving either to them or, or to a cause, but you have to take care of yourself. And if you don't, you, um, aren't going to be getting any medals for slowly dying, um, under the weight of the world and, and bringing all the burdens on your shoulders. And, and, you know, you're not going to live longer. In fact, you're probably going to live shorter because you've, um, avoided or ignored all the things that, um, you're required to have like love for yourself. So, However you love yourself. For me, it's like allowing all the things I talked about earlier about, you know, that I was withholding from my, from my life after my mom died, you know, not getting my hair done. I don't recognize the person I was. Um, they don't have to be physical things. For me, there, some of them were physical because I felt like I had been teetering on this sort of, um, I had been called names for, for being too, you know, like a tall poppy, really like a, a literal tall poppy for showing off, for doing fitness competitions, for DJing. There's a bit of like ego associated with all of these things that I had done in the past. And so I wanted to like crush my ego and, um, and not be shiny, not be exciting, not be just be, be the piece of shit that I thought that I was. So I didn't allow myself to do any of those things. And finally I started kind of like slowly doing them again. I started like actually changing my clothes and taking a shower. And I, it took me a while to put makeup back on and, and sort of like try and, and almost force myself back into the Hannah that existed beforehand. But it took me a while after my latest, um, relationship ending, my latest breakup, I was definitely, uh, look, I, I had to drop classes in school. I was taking three classes. I ended up taking, finishing one, um, I stopped doing things for the Winnipeg Dress Collective because I was really just like I thought that I had been, I was a fraud. I thought that like you know because I've been I've been called that, and I was trying to again shrink myself a little bit, and it was hard because I was doing I was starting to teach spin right around the same time, so I was going through my own sort of emotional journey while everybody else was at the same time, and it was really because I was forced to get up in front of people and, and talk about things like resilience and power and strength and all the stuff. I started to self-reflect even more than I was even just going to therapy and being like, you know what? It's not my fault. Um, but it required almost a year, I would say a full year of like telling myself over and over and over and over again, that it's not my fault the way that this person left and the way this 
this breakup happened, which was really traumatic, was not my fault, that um, I was worthy of love, that I, this wasn't a pattern that I was going to necessarily have my whole life. And um, I needed to find the linkages of why I was doing certain things in relationships to avoid doing them again, to make a list of of qualities I wanted in a partner if I wanted a partner again. Um, but I started listening to podcasts really. And, and that's, those were the things that saved me. And I remember I was, it was last December when this whole thing happened and my brother wasn't supposed to be in town. Um, he ended up flying in from California. I was supposed to be with my, um, partner's parents and like family and, and I was, I had to cancel my flight. Anyway, this whole thing. And I was in an Ikea and I was listening to a podcast my friend had told me to listen to, which is girls got to eat. They're absolutely dope. They're like everything I would hope to be in terms of, but there's definitely more comedy. So if you've been listening to this, you're probably like sad. <laughs> so I'm hoping, I'm hoping future episodes will be a little bit more uplifting, but, um, there was an episode called, so you've been blindsided. And my, one of my best friends sent it to me and I was like, I was crying in Ikea. Like, I'm not joking. <laughs> I was crying in Ikea in like the shelving area. I remember not knowing what I was looking for. I just needed to get out of the house. And, um, they said something and I started laughing and it was the first time I thought that I, like I hadn't laughed in like a week, two weeks, I want to say. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. This is something that's <laughs> first of all, I'm laughing and crying. So I look absolutely nuts. And then if you live in Winnipeg, you see every single person, you know, whenever you look like shit, whenever you look great, you don't see a single soul. Um, but I, started laughing and I was like, Hey, this is going to be like a saving grace for me. So I listened to this podcast for the last year, all the episodes, I ended up meeting them at this like live, this, they do live shows. I drove with a friend of mine. We did a live, like we did this whole like road trip thing. And there, they talk a lot as women in their thirties about building a life that you love first. So doing the things you love, building a life that you love, that you are so happy to be a part of so that when you have like nights alone, you're not lonely. And I can tell you straight up, I'm never lonely. Um, I if, like, there's things that I miss about having a family for sure, but I've, I've moved past it so far beyond past. I would say that I, it seems like it'd be like a foreign thing to, to be doing that again right now. Um, in a relationship that was very codependent, I'm back to being super independent. And I, I'm at a point where I like, I love the the single Hannah that I am. Um, and I love meeting new people and I love going on dates and all that stuff, but I'm not, um, ready or willing to sacrifice the life that I've built. So anybody coming into my life now would have to be sort of ready to roll and, and, and with what I do and, and vice versa, I would hope that they'd be really independent and have a life that they live. So they're not just like, a plus one. They're like, you know, rocking with their own dreams and, and all of that stuff. And we're sort of coming together. Um, I've explored a lot and, and just done the things that I've always thought about doing relationships wise and, and other and dated a ton of different, not a ton, that sounds excessive. <laughs> I really have not dated a lot. <laughs> I'm laughing. Um, I've dated different personalities, like a variety of different personalities. And when I say dated, I mean like going on a date or two. Um, I just want to be clear for anybody listening. But um, yeah, and it's it's brought me to this point where I'm just like, I want to be able to share this with people, especially women who are in their, you know, maybe 20s, 
maybe early 20s, maybe late 20s, maybe 30s, whatever, whoever you are listening to this, I really have no idea who's going to, but that things will sort of sort themselves out, but they won't just do it on their own. Like they, you, they won't just sort themselves out. If I refuse to do the work, if I refuse to see a psychologist this past year or um, acknowledge, you know, things that were manifesting in my life, like bad dreams and stuff that was sort of like, my subconscious was trying to tell me things and I just was ignoring it. Um, it, if I refuse to do any of that work or, or even look at myself and say like, what have, what patterns have I been subscribing to and like taking on that are creating this, this relationship cycle where things become really codependent or toxic in the end. Um, I wouldn't be ready for somebody. And in fact, it would be, like I wouldn't want anybody to come to my life because because like God help them they they'd be trying to figure out all this baggage but it, and and I want to pause and just address that too because I feel like anybody listening is like oh my gosh like she might like she must have all this baggage I don't I've been able to to sort of sort of shed this and yes I have a story to tell um that I share with people who are ready for it but I. I don't see it as being baggage so much as it's like, it's just something that's happened. And the more, the older you get, the more stories you have to tell. It just is what it is. And everybody has different things that different traumas they've gone through. Some of them may not be very open about it. Others are, but everybody has their shit. So don't be scared of being open or vulnerable or talking to others about it. Because if you swallow it deeper and deeper, it's just going to, it's just going to bubble up in, in the moments when you are choosing to be vulnerable because it's like, your emotions are like, okay, so we were allowed to, to show ourselves. Now we're going to show everything. We're going <laughs> to, everything is going to come pouring through these cracks in your armor. And you'll find that when you're like watching a movie or a play or something that really resonates with you and you all of a sudden are bawling, you're like, what the fuck? Like, why can't I, what is happening right now? It's because there's things that are, you're not addressing that are coming through. So people who are spent trying, crying, crying in spin class, um, which happens a lot in my, in my rides. So I'm pretty, uh, I talk a lot <laughs> and I hope open good ways. Um, it may be because it's bringing something up for you that you've been pushing down. So my, I have a few takeaways. I hope, I mean, I hope that you've taken from this story from getting to know me a little bit more. Um, but one is that things can, will get better things can and will get better. The little asterisk on that sentence is that you need to do the work. And so if you've taken the time to listen this far, listen this long, I want you to take one more step. And if you are really in the throes of depression or anxiety right now, that means talking to somebody. Everybody has access, most people have access to the internet. There's free counseling, there's employee assistance programs. There's um, psychologists. If you have benefits, try and try and sign up for one of those and get like a reimbursement. Usually, you can do up to five, you know, hundred dollars of of whatever, which is quote unquote. Well, it's not quote unquote. It's it's actual bullshit. But I digress. There are things you can do. Join a program. Join a reading group. Join like if you if you're struggling to get out of your house. Join something that has a social convention that will require you to attend it. So um, 
as I said, like a book club or something like that, where you're, you have to leave the house and just commit to leaving that house that day, take everything day by day. And if you can't take it day by day, take it by morning, by afternoon. If you're going through a breakup, this stuff still applies to you. I don't want you to stop doing anything that makes you, that made you happy before. Don't lean into the unhappiness, just address it when it comes and, and address it when it leaves. Don't stop doing the things that they're talking about because people who know us the best, the people who know us the best in relationships, especially will, will try and cut us the deepest. So they're going to say like the things that they know will make you feel the, the, the worst. And, um, and that's on them. That's the, if that's the type of person that you're breaking up with, well then good riddance because you don't need that in your life at all. Um, my dog is drinking water. I don't know if you can hear her. <laughs> There's three dogs here. There's a lot of dogs in this house. So they're just going to make themselves known as we go along. Um, don't stop doing the things that make you happy and, and try and use, I know this sounds crazy and like it's, it's going to sound really like uh, contrived or whatever, but try and use this as a, as a reset button. There's so many opportunities for you to live your life the way you want to live it that, one of the small silver linings that you can focus on right now is building the life that you love, building the life that you want to live, building, like thinking a bit bigger than, than the sphere and then the constraints that you've had for the last, however long you've been in this relationship. And even if it's a parent, like think about the things that you may want to do now, um, that were impossible to do. I'm thinking about moving at some point and, and to be honest, I don't think I would have ever moved if it hadn't been, if, if I had this super tight knit family in Winnipeg. And so it's, it's just, it sounds maybe a little bit crazy, but there's things that you can focus on that will give you that little beam of light in which you need to wrap yourself around with. I'm going to conclude it there. I'm sure that there's going to be many more topics. I, you know, I definitely want to talk about, I want to talk about ghosting in relationships. I want to bring in funny people. I want to bring in my friends and hear their perspective on this. And so the, the podcast is sort of going to change and, and, and evolve and grow. But I want to start with this first episode, which has really just been like a one take shot at like who I am, what I've gone through and, and what I'm hoping to offer you, especially as we just wrapped up the holidays. So this is going to be the last, the only, the, the first and the last podcast of, of 2019 wrapping up this year. I wish you all the best for your New Year's Eve. I'm hoping to release another one next week if we can keep this going at this pace. Um, yeah, I hope you guys have an amazing, amazing day and uh, love yourselves a little bit harder today. Bye. <music>